0: Hi, I'm Matt Carr, the Director of Human Resources and Student Services for the Somer Central School District, and you're watching the 2019-2020 School Budget Roundtable. This is an opportunity for members of the community to have a discussion with the Superintendent and Assistant Superintendent for Business in regards to variables affecting the 2019-2020 school budget. Okay, before we get started, we want to introduce our panel members. Uh, First we have Deka Ruiz, um, who's here on behalf of Heritage Hills. Uh, And next to um, Deka is Mr. Kenneth Crowley, who is the Assistant Superintendent for Business. Uh, Next to Ken is Dr. Blanche, the Superintendent of Schools. And next we have John LaPlaca, who is representing Alteris. And next to John, we have Anthony Sirico, um, town council member. And next to Anthony, we have Glenn Heinz, representing the SEF. And finally, we have Gwen Rothschild, representing the SOMERS PTA. And, Dr. Blanch, if you could just kind of start the conversation off um, with a brief overview of the 1920 budget.
1: Certainly. Thank you, Matt. So, here we are again. It seems like it was just yesterday that we host these kind of roundtable conversations about the local budget. As you know, one of the things that we have continually had to deal with over the last number of years, and Kenneth, correct me, I think we're in year eight, might even be year nine coming up next year, on the 2% tax cap. Yes. And sure. so, with that piece, that is a component that has been um, challenging to say the least and how to navigate within a budget that is, that is really fixed as far as the income side of things go because if we're in a spot where we identify that, while well, some expenditures increased, we need to increase our revenue, we can't do that. We're, we're at, at the um, mercy of our, of our system where we can't increase revenues along the stream. So uh, the process that we look at uh, for any budget, and, and we'll describe this again, we're still kind of closing out the budget from 718 in some regards or projects are carrying over. We're living in the 1819 19 budget right now, but now we're asking for the 1920. So at any given point in time, you're kind of in these three different years. And in that budget cycle for our 1920, you're thinking about that's a really year-long enterprise that you're looking at. And so some of the things we'll talk about today, some of the larger changes that you will continually see is that Again, our budget, roughly 75% of our um, budget is spent on our people. We are a people organization, so we're here for our children. So if you're looking at from our teachers to our bus drivers to our nurses and whatever that may be, we're here for our children and our students. So that's the lion's share of our budget is then you have some dollars to spend for capital for building maintenance and things like that and turning the lights on. and heat and all those lovely things and so when you really look at where you have the budget set there's not a lot of wiggle room in there as far as options. Um, Some of the bigger players we will have consistently are are, uh, costs related to folks for the compensation, which is inclusive of the health insurance and the retirement systems and those alike. So as you go through that, we are again, every year that changes Um, by the state level. So, uh, as a requirement of the state, we put into those retirement systems, which we're, again, are are responding back to. We're not controlling those changes. Another piece you will hear on the general budget, you will see very clearly that uh, there is, uh, what we anticipate, no negative impact uh, on any of our programs in our schools. Quite frankly, actually, we're able to maintain what we believe is a good, reasonable class size in our elementary school. So you will see um, an added first grade teacher, for example, at Primrose. Right now, we have nine sections in uh, kindergarten, so we'll be moving that nine up to first grade. Right now, it's currently eight. So that's an increase there. Now, that allows us to stay at approximately 20 students in each one of those kindergarten, first and second grade classrooms. When we go to the SAS campus, those numbers have historically been closer to 24 or so on average. So next year, you'll see actually that, that third grade will be coming down a little bit, a bit a little bit closer to 23. So the 20 number at, at Primos and the 24 number relatively at SAS, so that stays all static in there. An added value of program we have next year is looking at the uh, middle school piece here. So you'll hear about some more of those particular elements as you bring up some of those questions. And then the second piece we'll spend some time on today about the safety And security bond is where we spend some time. So, So, um,
0: Gwen, I believe you had a question in regards to the budget.
2: Sure. Um, What impact will the recently approved TRS reserve have on the budget?
1: So I'll start on that. I'll see if Ken wants to pick that one up a little bit as well. The teacher retirement system reserve. So we have uh, employees that are covered by that retirement system are teacher proper. Um, as well as our teacher assistants are in in that area, and then so are the administrators. And then we have an ERS system, which is for our support staff, our custodial, and our front office staff. So those are two separate systems. Interestingly enough, at least to me anyways, it was when I came here almost my ninth year, um, the state had allowed a school district to establish an ERS reserve, have done that for a while. And so the district has done that, put dollars in those reserves to help offset if there's a spike that goes up, say, oh, we have some reserves, we can spend that and feather that back down. They never had done that before for the teacher retirement system. So now with the establishment of that teacher retirement system, frankly, what that will allow us is uh, better able to manage the unexpected changes from year to year, either on revenues or expenditures. So if that spikes up one year, we have some reserves available, and so instead of just having to make those full reductions pretty much in staff, as you talked about before, because of the heavy weight that they have on the overall budget, we can say, well, let's take some of that from reserves and kind of feather that landing. So it would be very, very helpful for us to, you know, manage these ups and downs in our revenue system. So that's a, that was a pleasant piece. That's been up to this I would say for a number that of times.
3: for a number of years, the... Our lobbying efforts, uh, superintendents' council throughout New York State, school business officials' council throughout New York State, have all been lobbying our legislators to approve this reserve to be uh, started up. This is the first year that the reserve has come into creation. We can create this reserve this this school year and then fund it in future school years. So it is going to be very beneficial to school districts throughout New York State.
4: So the reserve funds will retirement benefits in the future.
3: We're not talking about retirement benefits. New York State Employees' Retirement System, New York State Teachers' Retirement System mandate contribution rates from the employer. Right. Those systems will then fund those uh, benefits for those employees, but that is not the school district. Okay? Mm. They're not retiring with the school district. They may retire with the school district, but the pension comes from the retirement systems that are operated by New York State.
4: And you're reserving for them now? Correct. Now, those contribution rates have come down over the years, Right.
3: They were very low at one time. In the late 90s, they They're under 1%. They increased to close to 18% after, the, let's say, the 9, 10, 10, 11, to 11, 12 school year, that time mm-hmm. frame after the Great Recession. You saw those rates rise dramatically. And then you've seen them feather themselves back down to where next year the teacher retirement system rate will be about 8.86% going forward. And the employee's retirement system, which has six tiers in it, and those tiers are all individually uh, but a composite rate on those is around 14.1%.
1: Okay, Ken, kind I of think one of the interesting things we're already hearing from the state is they're foreshadowing that that TRS rate's going to go back up. Yeah, it's based some of the factors
3: that are involved in it are the uh, five-year average of the stock market. It's one of the factors that's involved. In 18, there was a down year in the stock market, so they've already notified us to say, gee, you might want to consider that rates may be going up into the future. They don't tell you how much of the rates are going up, mm-hmm. but you know November December of next year they'll give us an idea for the twenty twenty one school year budget.
4: But for this year, we're producing quite a bit of favorability relative to last yes. year. Yes, we have a savings.
3: positive savings in that account of over two hundred thousand
5: dollars. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I asked this question last year. You know, it's one of my favorites. It's about um, you know the population. Um, Of the the school district. Um, You talked a little bit about it uh, in your opening comments, which were great about uh, Primrose, you know, uh, with the kindergarten moving to first grade, the the nine classrooms uh, from kindergarten to first grade. But what about, uh, can you give an overall comment about what it looks like in the district um, for next year with population versus what it was this year? And is there a a five-year projection? yeah, we we've seen some you know some downward trends as we know that are cascading through the district a little bit and hitting the schools as the uh, students go through. But do you see uh, some trends that are continuing along those lines mm-hmm. or a little bit of a of a shift uh,
1: in the next few years? Sure. So we're we're more in the middle of where we anticipate with our downward cycle going. So as you described with the elementary, so for. Um, Next year, we have that new first grade section in there. Yet, if you look at the fifth grade over at SIS, there's gonna be one less section. So it's an FTE here, but goes, fills here. So it's relatively flat at the elementary level. Um, The numbers at Primrose, again, are approximately 525 children are there. And then next year, you're gonna be a little bit more than 540 at SIS, but they've relatively reached what we would identify as kind of their floor. Um, And every other year we work with a demographer who comes in and kind of gives us a refresh on those numbers and what that looks like based upon live birth rates, home sales, and all those things in our area, our town, our region. And so that change of adding that class oh, we had a whole class. it's, It's not a large, large, huge number. When some of these other developments were built the last time that were used to be at Somers Chase or something like that. This is talking about, well, you have roughly 17 more children in one grade level than we had initially anticipated. So, but when you're looking at, for example, that class of about 180 children right now, if you fast forward to the senior, year of children, you're roughly 280. Mm-hmm. So the delta between those two is still about 100 kids, <laughs> even with that newer increased size. So maybe inched up a little bit, but it was not moving back to that level. Middle school level, we will see sixth grade next year will be receiving its smallest grade in, in quite a long time, about 215 children. Mm-hmm. They'll be sending out about 280 children in eighth grade. So in about three years, this campus will be around 540 children. And then a couple years after that, so next year's freshmen, they'll be the smallest class walking into the high school in three years, about two hundred and fifteen. So you're talking about six to seven years out there than with that school. Some of the numbers, as you look at, uh, I would not be surprised, in particular, if our high school is a little bit larger as, than its true feeder from the elementary. What we'll see is that and are starting to see is some folks are coming in for some of the experiences that we're looking at often, like the International Baccalaureate and things, or project-based learning experience and project lead the way with some of the biomedical sciences. So maybe they're not here younger. They maybe go up to a second home and things. And they're like, wow, I'd really like to be at the high school. I wouldn't be surprised if it we're a little bit heavier in that regard. All along the way, we have been able to manage those reductions through attrition with staff members and things. So even for, uh, like, next year, that fifth grade, that person is retiring, and so we've got somebody else filling the first grade. So we're able to handle that getting smaller through these attrition pieces. Now, one of the things I would say is that uh, that really is a a good investment, and our community should feel really... um, strong about that. We want to keep our educators here. We've, most of our educators stay with us. The only reason they typically move is because they have to move the area. One of their spouses has to move to get a job. So we've made a huge investment in in those employees and teachers and and they've made a huge investment for us so it really makes a lot of sense for us to work really hard to keep those people who have been with us for years if not decades here and staying with us and so we've been able to do that so far and so that would be the intent that as we look and for forecast through with you know, reduced numbers of teachers needed here. Oh, we've got some anticipated requirements, and so the intent is to keep that, again, pretty well balanced. So, so far, we've been on target of that. So I would say roughly, elementaries are about where they're at to their floor. Middle school kind of starts the next year, so we kind of halfway through our downward cycle. And then what what goes up comes down, what goes down comes up. So ultimately, that will kind of probably swing its way back. It's usually a, a cyclical thing about a 10- to 15-year cycle. So right now, we're kind of on a down slope. We'll ultimately be on that upward slope. And one of the things Ken's actually been very helpful is just with our facility usage, think about how effective our four schools were. Because our elementary schools still have 550 kids in those. These are not schools of 200. That's what you may hear in our area where sometimes the school might close because it's that small. We're as small as we're gonna get it's 550 kids. Go up to 800, 850. But in the meantime, we have leased out uh, building, uh, each one of our buildings has one, some have two classrooms leased out to BOCES programs. So they'll come, we'll pay us some rent for those rooms and some of those services they provide to other families and communities will be delivered through here. So that's a nice kind of win-win for us. To the tune of about $140,000
3: for the 1920 school year. But Dr. Blanche, I'm just going to pick up on this, what you said. You talk about investment in our people. A lot of people will say, "Gee, they got a master's degree.
1: They're teaching. What do you have to invest in those people for?" Right. And I would say the biggest investment. That, and we actually heard it today. We were looking at uh, some of our elementary teachers to go ahead and and learn more about project-based learning. Basically, really, you know, it's pretty um, typical for an elementary teacher to have children get their hands dirty and get in that work and create and learn pieces. But these teachers that we spoke to were. So pleased and so proud that they were recognized and say, hey, I do this and I want to go learn more, come back with my faculty colleagues and help us do this even better. So when you think about professional learning, even thinking about the technology we're using today or that the kids are walking in with, I mean, that didn't exist a few short years ago. So if we're not there to support our children to make sure they know how to use technology effectively in their own learning, then how can we really expect them to be, you know, proficient within the classrooms.
3: Which is no different than physicians going back for additional training or attending medical conferences, legal professionals going to law conferences, you know, technology people refreshing themselves on new technologies. Our teachers need the same uh, infusion of knowledge into their practice. That's why when we hear that, uh, why are you investing in the people? They've got a master's degree. They've been teaching for 10 years. Well, you don't want your physician saying, gee, I took a course on that 10 years ago. There's probably something more that's updated, but I don't know what that is. know, you want the latest medical treatment that you, can, that you can get from the physician. You expect the same thing from our
1: instructional staff, from our teachers. And, and we are very blessed. We had a recent conversation at the board table. just spoke about how much those employees and those teachers are looking at how can I improve my game. Nothing I'm doing something wrong now, i just, what's my next right answer? What's my next right answer? So, you want?
2: So, I was just going to, you had mentioned the International Baccalaureate yes. Program. Um, and I don't have kids, I haven't had yeah. kids in <laughs> school in a long time. So, can you explain a little bit about what impact that has on the um, students and, yes, the, and the faculty? Yes, absolutely.
1: So, the International Baccalaureate Program, this is our second year at the high school uh, with that program. That program right now is for 11th and 3rd grade children to go ahead and access some curriculum that really stretches their thinking a lot. Uh, if you're familiar with the AP program, the, a, uh, the IB is similar, yet it's different enough where students, one student made the best quote actually to me, I think, when we were doing a feasibility study. said, you know what I noticed here about this IB difference is, is that program allows me to demonstrate what I know. And don't try to catch me on what I don't know. And just kind of think about some of the AP parts. Say, here, you're asking me to do this. I can demonstrate. I can show you in a lot of different ways what I know about this. And so we've been working on that. This will be our first graduating class of students at the IB. And so, again, it's a self-selected. We have a very small group of kids who've done that for their entire junior or senior year. Um, I think it was eight this year. We're already looking at now next year about the 14 children doing the full piece. Yet we have over 200 children accessing at least some of those classes in the program They may not do the whole piece. Now it's interesting enough, and again, as Ken was saying about professional learning, the middle school level where we're starting the IB program here was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. The difference there is it's every kid, every child, every program, every content area. And it really as much as a philosophical approach where what's the learner profile of a child we're looking for, somebody who is a collaborator, somebody who is a problem solver, somebody who is a global citizen, somebody who demonstrates empathy. And so those are the experiences that we'll be talking about giving to all of our children here. An interesting piece there that came from the teacher leadership team that really attracted them to the program is that every child in eighth grade would need to go ahead and complete a community project with a par- teammate, say, in my local community, what I've learned over these last two and a half years, how can I take that knowledge and learning to impact my community? and they have to develop this project-based learning piece. So all of that comes down to, like, we can't do that without a supportive budget, without a supportive board, providing those professional learning opportunities for those teachers. And so, again, I do believe that is our best investment is to you know, uh, invest in our, our own learning. So for that, we started this year with that support, full training on the entire staff that day. We've sent teams of teachers out back and forth, and I have to tell you, it has been identified as teachers as the best training that any of them have gone to holds bar. Then when they come back with the support again of the board and community, we have, uh, let's say, a learning coach. So, you know, if we think about that, piece, let's say, you know, I'm a teacher, John's a learning coach, we've all gone to this training, we come back, John is really that local expert. He can help keep me honest. So this is really, I go get this training, I pick up my knowledge and I come back and then we're doing this work you know, constantly, day in, day out as a coach. So that takes a budget to take place. Uh, otherwise, you're really kind of flying by the seat of your pants and, and not getting things redone. There's not good cohesion and connectivity, but because of the support of the community, uh, this, this, this uh, campus will be and is already ha- about halfway through getting that certification. So,
2: And I will say, um, on that note, my daughter was one of the um, IB diploma candidates mm-hmm. who hopefully will graduate this year and um, this, the teachers also invested a lot in the students and she is really well prepared for her next journey in terms of the critical thinking, thinking a little bit outside the box and um, part of their program as well is being involved in the community and doing a community service and really being a global thinker in terms of
1: and again, it's it's those pieces with such a support of a community because that's a it's a big heavy lift to begin with. To getting you know roughly twelve fourteen teachers ready for that, the, their their energy and their, and their belief and structure was there now to be able to support them to go ahead and get these trainings has has been great. And again, being our inaugural class, kind of going out, we've learned so much just in the second time around and I mean the third time. So. Again, a very, very uh, positive piece for our children.
4: So I think it's great. Uh, This is the school district and, you know, their staffs are responding to uh, science, technology, education, and math-type programs, the STEM programs, that are becoming more popular and and not just a matter of popularity, but, you know, be endorsed by educational uh, organizations throughout the country. Uh, You know, uh, this school was mentioned by uh... the the school that they that we're talking about opening up on the IBM campus which is going to be a stem school as well and uh... I, i'd have to say that this this community here in this school district is uh... in a leadership role for you know that type of uh... educational and curric- curriculum
1: structure i agree and, and most recently again with the support of, of the budget of the community as we brought on uh, two new classes this year one in particular is biomedical sciences and so with the support of the budget, we were able to go ahead and, and bring teachers on board, get the professional learning for those teachers so they're ready to teach that experience. Now where you're going into a classroom, the students are... It's, this class is in particular almost like a kind of a CSI experience where the students have to use their understanding of biology to figure out a criminal science scene. They walk in the first day and there's, this, there's, a, there's a scene there where somebody died and they have to figure out through their biology understanding how did this happen. Mm-hmm. So they go through the year in that piece. And, and so those students again are looking at career opportunity or thought potentially yet they're meeting all their science requirements and what's interesting enough our science teachers after going through this first year said you know what Ray the reality is is that the children can do just fine on passing the regents biology they're doing so much more so you don't even have to have a regents biology and this just come and do this and the kids will be well prepared to go ahead and re- meet the requirements of the regents biology. So this
4: sort of uh, gets to a point where, uh, you know, the whole child type philosophy meets rigor. Yep. Um, you know, when I'm in the community, we always, you know, I get questions about, yeah. uh, you know, the whole child uh, process that, uh, and you maybe could talk yeah. a little bit about that. But there's also a commensurate amount of rigor that's being inter- introduced into this, into the, uh, into the setting with some of the things that we're doing here.
1: Yeah, kind of swinging back, it seems a little circuitous here, but going back to class, uh, the size of the school. So you think about the high school, as the school the high school gets smaller, it's more difficult to provide the opportunity for all these different courses. Size does help in some regards where you can have more choice and variety. So one of the things to make sure the rigor stays up and the options there, we piloted this year, we got an amazing response from our children as well as their parents, this idea about embedded honors. So if we're all in a class and we want to go ahead and take this English class, Instead of a separate class for English honors and English, we've got this experience where we're, doing, we're learning together and we have the opportunity to reach towards these more rigorous, maybe more in-depth kind of experiences, more at an honors level. But the reality is that it creates a nice, equitable opportunity for everybody. Everybody has access to that. And then so you can choose to do that and demonstrate that in different ways. If you happen not to, then okay, fine. Then you take the original course, you do those assignments. Right now what happens if kids reach and they fall? You have to go to a different class. You have to change your whole schedule. That that's that's difficult to say the least from a child all of a son, am I too dumb? I can't handle this, versus I gave it a go, well, and I'm pretty close and so but there's there's no change in relationships, none of those pieces. So the rigor is there. And so what we're actually starting to see is more children are accessing more rigorous curriculum because we're avowing them of that opportunity, not saying you can or you should Are you really sure about this? Give it, a, give it a go. We're there to support you. If you don't, then you can slide back. But we're seeing every single one of the 50 kids in this pilot at least tried two of those more rigorous assignments, which is pretty amazing to me because maybe many of those would have never even gone into a class and, and found it that way. So, again, making sure that impacts the whole child in that regard. Again, the only way we can do that, support the budget. We had a handful of our teachers do summer curriculum work, which is inside the budget, which really allows our team, when the children aren't around, the parents around, to really zone in on, here's this next change we're looking at for next year. So that summer curriculum budget was extremely helpful. One thing about school
3: districts, sometimes they're criticized for not doing long-term planning. With the IB program, uh, I believe that was about four to five years in the planning process to fruition of IB. Now we have a graduating class. With the middle years program, that's probably three years in the planning for that program, and it's it's a candidate school this year, and we're looking to go into that program next year. And then we've talked about 11th and 12th graders, the middle school. We must be doing something for the 9th and 10th graders, Dr. Blanche. Right, uh,
1: right. yes, yeah, so with that part, so the middle school program, as, as Ken was saying, next year we'll start every child here will, will have an experience with one unit in every content area in the IB profile. By 2021, we anticipate being fully approved, and that'll be the units cutting across the board. And we'll, we'll be starting up shortly there to look at the ninth and 10th grade at the high school level. So kids will have a continuous experience 6th through 10th grade, and then 11th to 12th, the choice if you want to continue to go with that IB-specific diploma part. But that, that thinking, yes, roughly is about, you know, seven years ago by time fully fruition that you're talking about a decade, but that's that's what it takes to really kind of do this. And and frankly, I would say that again, support of community, support of our faculty and understanding that this is the next you know, right answer for the kids. Yeah,
3: we're starting to see school districts visit our high school that are looking Today, at right. at looking at bringing on an IB program in their school district, and they're using us as let's say that beacon to see how how did you do it, what were the pitfalls, what's going right, what's going wrong with it, and how did you bring this whole thing about. So we're starting to see those folks come to us, and let's say mentoring them through their processes.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is all great and comprehensive. Appreciate the explanation of this. Um, is there anything we should know about going into next year uh, curriculum key curriculum changes for the uh, the lower grades, uh, uh, Primrose and SIS and also just going back to the high school for a second uh, topic of conversation that's been in the community this year that you might want to you know just comment on. Um, the, the schedule uh, changes that are going out of the high sure. school for next year, so kind of a two-part question.
1: Yeah, so the first piece I would say at the elementary level one of the areas that we are looking at right now is is a little bit more directly in the social-emotional wellness one of those areas where you may be familiar with our elementary children all go through the responsive classroom yep. so that's an experience all of those children have. The next layer we're looking to pilot and bring on their next year is called Zones of Regulation. Basically, what that is, it allows a student to kind of self-identify and hopefully check in with themselves and self-regulate and say, okay, you know, basically, what zone am I in? Am I in this red zone? I'm feeling anxious. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm, I'm feeling myself getting tense. Or, or uh, you know, I'm doing fine today. I, I've checked in. I, I, my mind is clear. My head is clear. So it gives them a chance to understand, how can I check in? And if I see there's a challenge or something going on, then what can I do about that? So that's that kind of next layer of we're trying to have kids really develop those skills on how to manage and regulate their own energy and things like that. So that's a key part at the elementary levels. The other part is a continuation from this year, particular thing about Primrose. They, again, through the support of the the budget, got a major refresh on all of their classroom libraries, their Mm -hmm. classroom uh, um, uh, reading group libraries. So a very, very intensive program. process the teams went through, and they identified the Fontes and Pinnell curriculum to go and to provide that work, so they've got that, started some training, and they'll continue that in earnest again next year. Um, thinking about one of the areas at the high school curriculum-wise, we've talked about this a few times at the board table, again, a budgetary support here, is that we are really zoning in on mathematics, in particular at the high school, we'll start there, but it will stretch down to the younger levels as well. Right now, you're seeing an uh, early separation of children in mathematics uh, from uh, their perceived skill set. So right now, at an SAS campus, you will see students still be, start identifying in fourth and fifth grade about separating. So, oh, I'm, I'm really good at math, or I'm okay. And so now these roads start you know separating themselves. And then sixth grade's then accelerated and double accelerated. And all of a sudden, pretty quickly, when you're talking kids who are 12 and 13 years old, you're, I'm good at math or I'm not good at math. So sometimes you hear from children, well, I'm in the smart math or I'm in the dumb math. It's like, <laughs> you don't, you don't, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. And then it continues. So what we're looking at is really, as I described before, about providing scaffolded opportunities for a group of math, math children to get in there and different entry points or on-ramps for kids to get into the content. It doesn't slow anybody down. If anything, it helps accelerate more children there. The idea is we want more math for more children. High school right now, uh, uh, requirements by New York State, you have to have three years of mathematics. So right now, we have approximately, three out of four of our kids go for four years, but one out of four doesn't. They stop with a minimum. We believe we can and should get more children more math back to where about. The importance, not just the desire, I think, of our children be in the STEM areas, but the need from an industry standpoint, mm-hmm. from the country standpoint, we need more engineers, mathematicians, and, and all of that. So we want more math, more kids. So that would be that kind of big curriculum push there. And to support that, we are going to bring a a veteran math teacher from the high school, Deb Hendry. She is working directly with those teachers at the high school and the middle school level because it's going to take some heavy lifting. Because right now, for example, if you look at our kids in algebra in eighth grade, you would expect most of those kids, this kind of an accelerated path, would get to a calculus level, but actually we see a drop, or kind of a, a slowing down of how many kids would be in AP. And what we're seeing is that some kids maybe are going a little too fast. They're getting it, but they're leaving themselves a little bit whole. So give them a two-year algebra experience. You need to realign the curriculum with the high school so you could still get to a calculus level. So we believe we'll have more math, more kids, more kids accelerating to those higher levels and things. So that's a key piece that she's gonna work on. Again, releasing her out of the classroom to do that heavy lift. Then the schedule next year, again, thinking about that, scheduling change, is in thinking about where right now we have three periods of lunch. Uh, lunch starts, and some people may have breakfast around that time with high school and stuff. <laughs> so, so we're going to a one-period lunch component in there where it's really driven by a social-emotional side. Our number one choice of changing schedule is, can I change my lunch period? So, uh, that will no longer be a question because we have one lunch period. And with that piece, um, we will also be looking at a schedule change where right now kids meet eight out of nine periods. They'll meet and they'll have one lunch this year every day. Next year, they'll meet six of those, two will drop off next day, they come back on, they cycle through. So, it really slows the academic day down. And then the class period is about 53 minutes long. So, a little bit longer for connections and not such a rapid, rapid pace in that.
3: So. I know Dr. Blanche spoke about the curriculum for the high school and the elementary schools, but we were looking at whole language in the middle school going down to the 6th grade, and he's much more eloquent on it than I am, so I'm going to turn it well, back over to I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just remember tidbits. So again, that's kind of tied back into the IB piece. Whilst we are not uh, you know, approved fully yet, we're working towards that. It is an evolution, we have to have world language offered in 6th grade, so next year we will have world language And our three current programs with Italian, Spanish, and French will be off in that sixth grade. We've been historically starting at seventh. So, again, that's a thank you to the community and the board and the budget allows us to go ahead and bring that in sixth grade. So that works well. So, so.
0: Dr. Blanche, in addition to the school budget vote on May 21st, uh, there is going to be a safety and security bond. Can you share some details uh, with the panel?
1: Yes, I'll start with that and then kind of kick that over to to Ken and John. So... um, I was actually thinking about that on the, on, on the way in today. And I was, I, I don't know why, but I was you know, driving my car and I kind of locked in my seatbelt. And then I got in and the lights went on and I put my signal on that little light. I we mean, there was a car over there. Did all those things. I looked and I started, is it SRS? All the airbags around me and everything. And I thought, oh you know, my goodness. And then thinking back about some of the cars that I had a long, a long not too long, but a while ago. Didn't have any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any of those things. And I thought, oh. I w- you wouldn't think about getting into a car today without all of those safety protectors and measures around you to keep you and your loved ones safe. And I thought it's a sad state of affairs that the reality is is right now where are we as a country and where are we have. I don't think we can think about not having those kinds of safety measures around us today. Would have never thought that about when I started my educational career when I was a student, but. You know, today and even the, the shootings out uh, this weekend in California, the synagogue out there. I I talked to, you know, my brother in law um, who who was a rabbi and helped me understand. You know, we never would have thought about closing our doors to, you know, our synagogue before once the Sermon Mounted. If anyone would come in, come. I said, but now we have to. And it really shook me a little bit, but I thought, okay, so that's what we're talking about is things that you hopefully won't see, like that seatbelt, you only think about it, click, it's in. Things that you're going to see in this kind of bond to keep our children safe are things that will not, you know, prohibit any of the love, the laughter, and the learning that's going on in our schools. So a major thing there would be these swipe cards. We're looking at this idea about swipe card access. You have in the front. Believes a few people in, but now it would be down to the classroom level and to each one of those doors. Instead of a physical locked door, you just go in, like, like if you're in a hotel room or something, so again, the children won't see it, but very clearly. And then that system can go ahead and also, if it needs to be locked, can quickly be locked from, you know, a, a, a quick signal that says, okay, lock my campus down. Um, also, the, the window in the glass that lets in lovely light And then when you think about, so we're looking at safety film going over that light. Whilst again that's not a bulletproof piece, when somebody comes up and tries to whack it with a bat, it's going to take a good number of minutes to get it through. Well, in that time period, with these new systems and locking down, lock down, boom, you're right away, automatic notification going out. So some of those are really some of those uh, really important pieces that we see inside of our schools that we need to make sure kids are safe. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, we try to check in on our students, give some surveys to the kids and ask how, you know, how we're doing, how they're feeling and things. Not surprisingly enough, there was a dip in them feeling safe, just as general, and their physical safety. I mean, they're living and they're breathing all these things over the last couple of years, and they're on their phones, they're seeing the technology, and they, they know somebody or somebody who, you know, we're right next to Sandy Hook and things like that, so it, it's, it's impacting them. And the reality is is that, and I struggle with this, and John can speak to this probably better than I can, we have to drill. And you may remember your school days when you drilled, it was a fire drill, right? Oh, dry, let me go outside, and hope it's not raining, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And now you're drilling for, you know, active shooting, quiet, locked out, there's a threat on the campus, lock out, don't move, don't move. And you don't just have somebody coming in, okay, we're all clear now. You've got a police officer coming to the building, hey, Westchester Police, we're here, we're gonna unlock the door, let I mean, it's a different, it's a different reality for our children. So. We want to make sure that they're safe and they know how to react to this. And so now we're talking about some of the physical pieces. But Ken, I wonder if you can kind of hit some of those other maybe pieces, and then we'll throw it over John and see what our elements you uh, have. A couple other
3: things that are involved in there are door a systems so that all of our exterior doors would be alarmed so that if the door was open for any. Uh, by software it could be timed out how long the door would be open but it would notify us that the door is open. We're also looking at additional security cameras and at each of those doors, uh, exterior doors, we would have a security camera so that if the alarm did go off on a door so we could look at the system and see why that door is open. Could be a delivery coming in, could just be somebody holding the door for whatever purposes uh, for something else to come in through that door. Could be a very legitimate purpose or somebody left the door open because uh, they went to their car and they're leaving the door open to get back into the school building, which they shouldn't be doing. Uh, a couple other infrastructure things. Over at the intermediate school, we have about six classrooms that do not have walls do not have doors. When that building was opened in 72, it was a great room concept. They didn't have walls and, and doors and everything. And over time, we've added doors and walls to a majority of the classrooms in there, but there are about six that do not have walls. Therefore, no doors, can't really be uh, uh, locked as a, a regular classroom could be. Uh, we're also looking at uh, an infrastructure project on this building. There's about twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 square feet of roofing that was put on about 20 years ago that would need to be replaced. So all of that rolled into that project. There were other things that were spoken about for the project, and two of the big ones were generators for the elementary schools. And we decided based on the cost of those and what I'll call the bang for your buck, they really didn't help us in the terms of safety and security. It would be good if the electricity went out for a significant period of time, but there was no real cost benefit to the school district. So we cut about $2.7 million out of the project for those generators. And there are some other small items that we cut out of the project also. And on this campus, we are looking at what I'll call motorized gate arms, Uh, This is in the project where there's a circle out here. Uh, We've now put out cones to keep cars out of those areas. With these motorized gate arms, they'll come down. It's kind of like a parking garage. You go in, uh, you get your ticket, the arm goes up, you come back out, you want to leave, you pay, and the arm goes back up. We'll put those on this campus. We'll also put about three of them up on our high school campus. That's kind of sum and substance of the entire project.
1: And you were with the team since this summer when we met with our uh, kind of community wide uh, safety task force. Thoughts that you kind of from there and then kind of where we're heading uh, the bigger projects?
6: Sure. Well, I think actually you, you, you touched on it earlier about what, what the norm and what the minimum level of safety and security was several years ago as to what it is today has changed dramatically. And that's in response to what goes on in the world. Um, I think it's important to note, though, is that statistically, though, schools remain some of the safest places to work and to get an education. Unfortunately, because of the precious assets in our schools, uh, it takes on a new meaning when something does occur in a school. But, and I say this all the time, in the wake of a critical incident, some very difficult questions get asked of the districts to say what was done to prevent this from happening, and if you couldn't prevent it, and we know in some cases things are not preventable, what did you do to manage that incident effectively? and you really have to be able to, to feel confident about those steps that were taken. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the things that we talk about, and many of these things that have a, a, a price tag associated with them as far as a budgetary item on there, there are literally hundreds of low-hanging fruit items that the task force that was put together to look at these things, and the task force is a great concept. It's a cross-section of people from different walks, whether they're employees from the district, safety and security experts, that come together to say, what's on your mind, what are the best practices, How do we take all these things, prioritize them to determine what's first, what's important to us, and came up with some great suggestions? And the next step is, how do we move the ball down the court to make sure that we're making real uh, improvement opportunities and making real progress going forward? So many districts out there have long punch lists of things that they think that they need to do or should do, but never really... Uh, get further on those particular steps and don't improve their conditions. And something that's happened in Somers pretty dramatically over a short period of time is those improvement opportunities are being implemented, uh, both short-range and long-range, low-hanging fruit items have been, uh, the gaps have been closed. Uh, and again, we want to look at things because, again, it's a layered approach. There's no one piece that's going to make a district safer. It's a layered approach of things. It's muscle memory and the training component. We talk about drills. Uh, in a critical incident, There's really no time to be able to open up an emergency plan to determine how do we respond effectively to this particular item. So it's important that we drill constantly so that it's instinctual, similar to what a police officer does when they're faced with an imminent threat. How do they respond? It's automatic at that point. And that's the level that we want to achieve in schools as well. So whereas several years ago, there was no requirement to do lockdown drills in schools. Now the state even mandates that lockdown drills shall be done. Uh, And we want kids to become conditioned to that, to say, this is what we need to do, because if they can respond effectively in an emergency, it can be life-saving in many cases on there. So again, that layered approach of looking at technology, infrastructure, improvements, improvement opportunity implementation, planning steps being forwarded and working on. The district here has a shared resource uh, in a coordinator position that is shared between the Lakeland School District. That person focuses solely on safety, security, and emergency management, uh, planning, upgrades, and also deals with day-to-day operations as well. And that's a resource that proves to be invaluable in districts, and it's becoming very uh, a much more popular opportunity for districts to move forward on.
3: And the other thing that we've done also is having four school resource officers, one for each of our school buildings, assigned to that building. They're armed, they're in uniform, they have a patrol car with them. Right. The other thing that we did this year was after hours. The task force talked to us about you know we're very secure during what I'll call nine to five business hours, school hours of the day. But my child is in a Boy Scout program or a Girl Scout program, or an after school program. Anybody and their brother can just walk into the school building once school is ended. We've gone back to the single point of entry, and we have a security guard that we contract for from each of our uh, from for each of our school buildings.
6: And that's so an that's important that's, point because for all you do to keep buildings secure during the school day, where you lock doors and you have security you know, buildings become very porous after hours. And that was a gap that really has been effectively closed because we don't want people simply walking into school buildings and secreting weapons or, or, or engaging in conduct uh, in those buildings that could have a detrimental effect to the safety and security of people in, within the building. Um, so that was something that's you know critically important that many districts are moving towards but can be a challenge from a financial standpoint. Mm -hmm. The school resource officers, some districts have none. This district is fortunate enough to have one in every single building. And when we talk about the function of these school resource officers, the armed presence of these school resource officers here is the fringe benefit of what they do. It's the the intangible piece of the things that they prevent from happening. And it's very difficult to quantify this. When When we talk about school resource officers, particularly in districts that are are leery about moving forward with that armed presence, and are they going to walk around the school and start scooping people up and, and moving them into the criminal justice system? The mm-hmm. opposite is really what they're trying to do. They're trying to prevent that from happening and prevent people from making poor decisions that can be life-changing. And also, they are great ambassadors, liaisons, have their ears to the ground every day. So that one element there is critically important to prevention and also response should there, should there be an incident in, in, within a school.
2: It has to be a great deterrent too. Of course. I mean, if a school doesn't have resource officers, they're more easily targeted. Let's just say that.
1: And, and that was one of the pieces that we were um, very adamant about making sure each one of us had a, an individual squad car too. Yeah. And so that was certainly help from uh, you know our colleagues at Westchester uh, as well. Initially, there was a thought about two officers sharing a squad car, but we really wanted a squad car at each campus or each school, which we were able to get.
5: It's been quite a positive addition this year, just seeing that you know it's really, you know, uh, helped. I think the community see yes. you know how seriously the district and yeah. this town takes yes. school security.
3: And none of this is inexpensive. Seeing that every day, so we're very thankful for the community to support our budgets in this area.
4: So what I'm hearing is some of this has been funded within the budget, right, the current budget, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and on May and on May 21st, when everybody comes in, they're gonna they're gonna be some capital. Um, dollars that There's are going to be required. Yeah, so it'll yes. be a proposition that they will have to separately vote on uh, in addition to
1: the school budget. Correct. correct. Mm-hmm. So. And with that, as we were talking about reserves accounts a little bit earlier, uh, the district had established a capital reserve account and we're uh, able to cover about a, roughly about a third of the cost for the overall project with those reserve dollars and then asking roughly the other two-thirds to be covered right. by uh, the bond piece. Mm-hmm. So this project is not
4: going to happen immediately it's going to happen over the course of maybe twelve or
3: 20 well there's months. always the you have to design it exactly. and then you have to submit those plans to the state education department facilities planning sometimes those plans can sit up there for thirty to forty weeks before they get looked at we're going to look for an expedited process and the architects engineers will tell us it's an aggressive schedule but we hope to have those plans if the vote is successful in may have those plans up in early december to facilities planning uh, Look for the expedited review, which will cost us a few dollars, and be going out to bid sometime late, uh, late March, early April, that kind of time frame. Then we would look at probably implementation of the project starting after school ends, and you would probably continue for a year, for a year to 15 months from start to finish. So when
4: uh, so when the community makes does the vote for the bond, they're going to be voting on you know endorsing this project. Right and then this will roll into future budgets, right? Right, And you'll manage that through debt service, debt service right? So maybe right. you can just explain a little bit how you do that, mitigating the impact.
3: Well, the easiest way to look at a, a homeowner, people, they, go out, they buy a house, and some people will take out a 30-year mortgage, some will take out a 15-year mortgage. We're going to go out, we're going to sell a bond for about $7.6 million, and we're going to pay it off over 15 years. The debt service on that will be about 630 some thousand dollars a year, to the homeowner, uh, about $72 a year for this project if you are assessed at $100,000, and about $18,000, dollars if you own, them, let's say, a condominium and you're assessed for $25,000. So but that'll be payable over the 15 year period of time, the $630 some odd thousand. We have had debt service falling off of our debt service schedule. Usually we take out somewhere between 15 15- and 20 year bonds. uh, 98-2000 project is starting to fall off of our debt service. And in our Board of Education presentations we put up slides showing the debt service, the decline in debt service, uh, factoring in our 13.6 million dollar current project to show that new debt service and then this debt service being layered on top of that. It brings us back to about, our debt service runs approximately five percent of our total budget. It'll drop down a little bit and then it'll go back up to that five percent level because one project is ending, we're filtering in another project, and then this project, the safety security project, would sit on top of that. So it would bring us back to about the 5% level.
4: So you'll essentially be able to manage this within future ta- tax gaps.
3: And don't forget that we also get state aid on this, building yes, aid. Right. So we're using some conservative projections. We're only figuring that 85% of the project would be eligible, and of that 85%, we'd get 38, uh, 38.5% back on that.
6: I, th- I think the task force also should be commended for the job that they did and actually being reasonable in the approach. We have many districts that are going to, you might right. imagine, going through similar processes right. to say we need to make upgrades, and and some projects on similar sized districts are in the well over thirty, forty, fifty million dollar you know bonds that are going out there. So the fact that Somers was able to look at. What do we need to do? Prioritize the thing we need to do, but also keep it reasonable for the implications to the taxpayer, I think was, was a fine balance and was done very, very well. So just to be clear, though,
4: you, you, there's a $7.5 million bond, and then you're taking some reserve money. The
3: project the cost... The project is going to be total... We'll call the project cost in round numbers $10.7 million. Okay. We have about 3.1 in our reserves, so okay. we're going to be bonding about
1: $7.6 million for 15 years. Perfect. And again, like you said, Ken, there, that relative, that ratio is about 5% to the overall budget. That's the piece that we're continuing Finding to maintain. aim for that, to maintain yep. that level of debt service. Mm-hmm.
2: And you talked about no longer needing the generators. Was there anything else that you took off the list that you...
3: Well, there was some retaining wall work around the, along the Primrose, um, where the playground is out in front of Primrose, around 139. They talked about planting some shrubs there. They talked about putting a what I'll call a guardrail around the uh, the field that's right out here. And I would say to the guardrail, gee, I'm more worried about somebody hitting their head on that guardrail than I am, you know, that preventing somebody from driving onto the property. Uh, so there were things of that nature that we looked at. Uh, there were some, even within some of the safety security features, we said, gee, it'll turn on all the lights in the school building if uh, an intruder comes in. Like, well, do we really need that? Now, maybe a Yonkers or a New York City that would be very helpful. We're in a different clientele area for, let's say, crime. We didn't see the need for something like that. So there are little things like that that we said, gee, we don't need that feature. We don't need that feature. There are certain things of that ilk we just didn't see the need for. So we reduced the cost based on those.
1: And I think was some of those pieces that we've clearly identified that they can be scalable. So if there are other elements that we need to add on and and increased numbers of for cameras for sakes and things like that. But one clear piece, we wanted all those external doors covered so they could be monitored inside. And, you know, we've got many more cameras going in internally, but how many does, you know, an elementary campus need versus a secondary? So we're able to pare those down a little bit, yet they could be scaled back up if we need to as we move forward. And that's one thing. You know, Ken's leadership, the reality is we have some cameras in place now. We've slowly been trying to add more and then cycle some old ones out. But this was such a large... A large endeavor, and uh, that we had to look at, at the uh, bond piece. Yeah, and even with
3: this year, they, they said we well, probably need I don't know three hundred. We said we don't need three hundred; we can get away with two hundred. We scaled those things back too, and working with our school resource officers to determine where should we put these cameras.
2: Yeah. And when's hmm. most of the work going to be done? You talked a little bit about. Well, the start date, um, but when do you anticipate it being completed? If
3: everything went according to plan, which <laughs> never happens, okay? Yep. You'd be looking at June uh, of 20, June July of 2020 starting, and probably a year to 15 months to complete.
2: And what do you anticipate the impact of the children? Because a lot of it will be done in the summer, but then school is going to start in um, the session.
3: We some of that work can be done after hours. There's ongoing maintenance work that our own crews do that students aren't even aware that's going on. So some. Uh, we try to get as much done as we can in the summertime, but there's a second shift,
1: even currently there's a second shift work going on in the school district with our current project. Yeah, and thanks for mentioning that, because right now we're getting ready to move with our voice over IP program, which will allow, actually uh, some of this technology will on that backbone with the connectivity there, and the kids are not seeing that because it's happening mostly in, in the evening and weekends and things. Yeah. even. Uh, if you saw last week, we had some folks outside working on the uh, parapet wall around the, high, the middle school. So again, trying to just yeah, get yeah, the if the schools, weather would
3: cooperate can. a little more, and less rain. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> yeah. there was scheduled days here, so they're going to work on weekends on yeah. certain sections of the roof when we're able if the weather cooperates with right. us. So all that work is for our current thirteen point six million dollar project is ongoing.
0: Right,
5: and that's all on on target time wise as we. No. We say, so, well, I mean, weather asking permitting. Me, Ask me at the end of August, know, how many exactly, days did it take? I know. It be. As much as it Hopefully, can be. Hopefully, weather, permitting, be. weather we're on permitting. permitting, we're on target. But aside from the weather, it's, yeah. it's all yeah. on yeah. moving along nicely. Yes, yes it and is. And they, they seem very busy out yes, there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Some things you can't control. No, right? Not the yeah. weather.
0: Yeah. So it's looking like we um, covered a majority of the questions that uh, were submitted for this uh, discussion. Is there any closing remarks that you'd have for the community?
1: I would say again hopefully that through tonight's conversation in order our own experiences or hearing things that uh, one thing that the district continues to make sure our kids are safe and secure uh, from where we're at before I think John when John came in he had uh, identified the district, yeah you're in a good spot now and here's your next improvement areas. Um, so yes, we want to make sure our most precious assets are safe. And then also not resting, and this is, this is where we want to stay. We want to continue to move forward. So what you will continue to hear from the organization this year and in four, four years is, what's our next right answer? Not that today we're doing bad. Here's the right answer with what we know today and how we have our skill set ready. And then what's our next right answer? And then as you said before, Ken, I think everybody said that just, again, thank you so much for your current support, certainly uh, monetarily uh, for supporting our programs and also uh, had an update today about we're well over 70 children now that are in our Team Tusker's mentoring program. Mm-hmm. So for all those hundreds of hours that you're giving to our children and continue to give forward, uh, I want to thank the community for that time as well too. So.
0: And again, and thanks to all of our panel members for joining us for this conversation. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And that concludes the 2019-2020 School Budget Roundtable. We want to remind everyone that the school budget vote will be on Tuesday, May 21st from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. in the Somers Middle School Gymnasium. And again, this school budget will remain within the tax levy cap at 2.65%. Thank you for watching.